Hello everyone and welcome to your uncle's beach house episode 17. I am Jackson. I am joined by M as usual. Uh, manga time. Manga time. Uh, we have a guest today. We are joined by Rick. Hello. Hey Rick, how's it going? I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, I'm okay. I am tired as always, but that's, you know, that's not notable really. Yeah, that's pretty normal. <laughs> that's pretty normal. Uh, Me too. <laughs> Um, today we are here to talk about uh, Phoenix. Uh, this is a Patreon requested episode. Rick requested that we read Phoenix. Uh, would you like to introduce what that is and what, well, why that, you that, picked let, it? Let's do a little housekeeping first before we get too deep into this. Okay. I will do that. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I like a deer in the headlights. I don't know what the headlight head no. housekeeping is. As Jackson said, this is a Patreon show. If you would like to suggest oh. things, sometimes we have slots at patreon.com slash normal mapping. I think right now we're full, but you know, they, they open up sometimes um, and you can suggest things. Uh, we have two episodes already planned out ahead of time for the episodes. What is that? 18 and 19? Wow, we're really coming up on it. Episode 18 will be about Log Horizon Season 2. I finished the show two days ago. Jackson's coming up on it, so that'll probably be the next two weeks would be my guess. And then after that, we're going to be doing an episode on uh, Dirty Pair, uh, follow-up to last year's episode. We are going to be covering the two OVAs of the movie and the sequel 10-episode series original Dirty Pair. Not to be confused with the first Dirty Pair, which is just called Dirty Pair. I know. Uh, if you are interested in, um, like, commissioning one of those, you don't have to, like, wait around for a slot and then jump on it. Just You can DM us and go, I'm interested, and we'll tell you, you know. Be a little pickier, because some people request things that are outsized and, you know. Yeah. No, we'll, 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 we can say no to things. Yeah. Um, but we'll let you know. We'll be honest about it. Yeah. Um, um, people have done that before. It's been It's been fine. Yeah, and Rick is our uh, currently longest reigning beach house uh, guest. <laughs> yes. Uh, lives right behind you, and will be here for the uh, Dirty Pair sequel. But um, I feel like the arc from Giant Robo to Nausicaa to Phoenix has really just been like a huge, steep climb up in quality. Uh, Rick, why don't you talk a little bit about why you picked Phoenix? <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, well... I think it was Jackson that was reading. I was watching Doro. Yes, I was watching Doro. Yes, and I got thinking about Tezuka, and because I think neither of you have read any, right? Yeah, no. I've never read a Tezuka manga before this. Okay, so my first thought was actually uh, Pluto, which isn't a Tezuka comic, but it's an adaptation of a Tezuka comic. Mm-hmm. But that's that would cause you guys to want to read um, Astro Boy. Yes. Yes, yes it would. <laughs> this is why I haven't read Pluto yet. <laughs> and there's also an anime coming out, so I thought, okay, whatever. I'll just pick something else. And I've been meaning to read Phoenix again, because I recently got all of it in print, which is a lot. Yes. And, yeah, and it's very good. Yeah. And I haven't read it in a long time, so I wanted to read it. And it's like, it also ties into the other works, because it's his life work, which I have a theme of, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah this one wasn't wasn't completed sadly um phoenix is 12 volumes uh it ran from really from the 50s wikipedia says 54 to 88 but the first oh, that's volume, weird we'll get to that okay the first volume <laughs> says 67 so i was like hmm well, the the pace on this must be wild then because he's mentioning reagan in, in uh, by volume four <laughs> So, uh, volume 12 is a bunch of earlier works that were later made Phoenix stories, or were Phoenix stories that were wrapped back in that were from the 50s. Oh, okay. That's oh, cool. okay. Okay. This is 67 to 86, I believe. Okay. 
And we're covering the first four volumes, uh, which is Dawn, Future, uh, Yamato slash Universe, and Ho-Oh. Because uh, the, the third volume releases the first two volumes put together. Or the or volumes three and four put together. Wait, what were your names for for the last volumes? It's Dawn. Well, Wikipedia has Dawn Future Yamato Universe. It's actually Karma and something, right? Isn't it? Yeah, it, it's uh, Yamato Space and Karma. Yes, yes. This says Yamato Universe and Ho Oh, which <laughs> uh, yeah is just Phoenix in uh, in Korean, I think Chinese. Okay. Uh, that makes that makes sense. I was like, yes. wait, there's one of the names I saw. I think yeah. we have the same. We have the same. We have to have the same files because we've both got the same pages missing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I was going off Wikipedia. Yep, no, that makes sense. Yeah, uh, Chinese is ho. Okay, so. yeah, good, good to know. Good to clarify. He mentions a lot of those in volume one or two, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So I guess we probably just go through these one at a time, right? Like that makes the most sense. They're kind of. They're almost distinct, but not quite. Yeah. Uh, the first volume is Dawn. Uh, originally came out in 1967. This takes place in the AD 240 to 270. Um in the era of Queen Himiko, uh, and is about her efforts to secure the phoenix, which can grant a mortal life before she dies of old age. And people who do not want her to do that <laughs> for various reasons. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I thought it was fantastic. Um, how much of a summary do we want? Like, uh, you want to give us like a, just like a, maybe like a paragraph's worth? Good luck. <laughs> uh... Okay, so um, I need I need to get the Wikipedia up because I need the names. The the Wikipedia is, does not have names, so the problem is um, I start thinking of everyone in terms of faces. I can give like, you some like of the translated names. Like, there's MD who is the doctor. Yes. There's Nagini who's the or is it Nagini or Nagini? Hmm. I'd remember the, if it was Nagini. The, the kid. Uh, I and don't then, think it was Nagini. <laughs> No, it's not. It's like because I'd remember that Nagi. <laughs> it's just Nagi. It's Nagi. Nagi. Yes, yeah, Nagi. yeah, yeah. So uh, here's a kid from a, a village uh, who live on. Uh, they, they live on the island, right? On yeah, they live island. like in the shadow of the mountain where the phoenix. They is, live in the basically. shadow of the the mountain where the, the volcano where the phoenix lives, and um, it begins with his brother trying to hunt the phoenix uh, and get the the blood to to heal, uh, make people immortal. Um, he dies because he tries to hunt a phoenix in a volcano. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, he's, he was specifically looking for a cure for his wife. Yes, he's a cure for his wife. Um, uh, who, is, who is dying and uh, he's definitely looking for a cure. Doesn't, doesn't find it, dies. Uh, then a new person arrives in the village uh, who is like from another place and it turns out to be a doctor. And they usually, usually kill outsiders on sight. But he he heals the, uh, his wife, and so they let him stay. Uh, he turns out to be like a spy for an invading uh, for like Himiko's uh, kingdom that invades and kills everyone there. Uh, the only people that escape are uh, um, the wife herself and uh, Nagi, uh, who is the brother of the first guy uh, who dies. And then the the story is basically the two stories as they go off in different directions. Um, Nagi goes is like captured, goes back to uh, Himiko's homeworld, is like trained, um, and then like escapes with his original captor. Uh, the, a lot happens in this first. Like you would think that being multiple things, like no, they're all very dense. 
And uh, it's the it's uh, Sarita. It's the recurring yes, character yes, from yes. all of them. Yes, it's Sarita uh, with the big nose, um, who is like originally like kills everyone in the village and then like captures him, but then is like uh, chastened by uh, Himiko, and they both go on the run. When uh, they go, like Himiko leads everyone in the vill- in her kingdom to go and hunt down the phoenix, and the rest of the comic book concerns this. Um, they are not really able to do it very well. <laughs> a lot of people die. Uh, eventually, they do get the phoenix, but uh, uh, Himiko like dies in front of it, like literally inches away from getting the immortal blood. And that's also when the third kingdom shows up. Yes, and then a third kingdom comes up, shows up, and ends up doing to doing to Himiko's kingdom what the what they had done to the smaller village. Uh, there's always a bigger fish. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, and then all the characters have to deal with like standing up for their kingdom and getting run over just by the facts of imperialism in in the past. Uh, Sarita dies. Um, and, like Nagi dies. Everyone dies. Uh, there's a lot more details there, but it's just a very sad ending. Is like they all kind of amount to nothing. Uh, as the only survivors are. Uh, the the wife and the original spy who came MD. to the village, yeah, uh, MD, um, and who like live in a cave uh, on the volcano, uh, to which where they avoided the eruption, and they've just lived there, like off moisture and grass, uh, had a whole bunch of kids on the hope that they will get out and repopulate one day, and one of the kids manages to climb up and see the world, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of details I missed there, but that's the broad structure. Yeah. I mean, introduces the idea of this being a generational story. The Phoenix is omnipresent. It eggs yes. uh, Takeru on, who's the person who climbs out of the giant cave to the new yes. world. Um, some indeterminate time later. Like, for me, like, you know, th- his parents are now ancient, but that could mean, like, decades, or it could mean hundreds of thousands of years, the way this story works. <laughs> yeah, no, like, the time is irrelevant at that point. Yes. Um, which is my favorite part of every Phoenix story, where the minute, where, the part where time and space end up breaking down every volume. <laughs> yes, it's very good. Yes. Um, but yeah, this one's great. I was like, oh, this, this is just, like, the breeziest, like, cool history read, like... Uh, it feels very of a type with like the three kingdoms work we've been doing on Romance of the Two Networks. Uh, Speaking of, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Himiko um, is actually going there because of uh, the Kingdom of Wei. Yeah, <laughs> which I forgot about before I recommended this, and then you guys were doing a podcast was, about the three kingdoms. <laughs> I was working it out as this was happening. I was like, guys, this might reveal some things that are about to happen in three kingdoms, but, but it doesn't end up doing that. As I like work out the timeline of when when this is within the like the two forties, yeah, uh, which we are not at the two forties yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, this volume is great. Uh, just the the thing I was surprised about with Tezuka is like I knew about his art style. Obviously, it's very iconic. I didn't realize how many incredible massive splash pages he was prone to. Um, <laughs> I'm used to like the character design being very simplistic, but the world that they inhabit is not at all that. It is just some of the best, like straight up ink like line work I've ever seen. Cause uh even like all the shading, like very little of it is like tonal, like a screen tone. It's just black and white and looks incredible. The art is illegal. <laughs> yes. 
Um, like we we have now uh, on Rick's behalf read like two of the classic mangas, right? Like yeah, Nausicaa and Phoenix are both like two of the most important mangas ever written. I don't think that's like a ridiculous statement. No, just in terms of culture. Um, <laughs> this this makes Nausicaa look like baby shit. <laughs> I mean, Nausicaa's like a very writerly book, but like. Right. I mean, like, it's it's very, like, well-made and put together and stuff and uh, has its own unique art style. But, te- like, the thing about Tezuka, like, r- doing a little more research, like, the amount of work that he put out that all looks good is incredible. Um, like, you know, Miyazaki s- spent uh, 10 years building that thing. Tezuka did 10 pages of comics a day, roughly, his entire life. Yeah, um, just, the, what the hell? <laughs> yes. The nice way to describe him is a workaholic. Yes. But yeah, no, he the, literally the, works himself to death. The not nice way is to say, like, he might have cast a huge shadow over everyone's, like, ideas about comics for, like, a long time after him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this series is a lot of him just taking everything he learned and did in comics and putting it all into one series, basically. Like, all the style <laughs> changes, all the paint, the layouts... The action, everything is just like all over the place at all times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the, the specific in terms of like the comparison to Nausicaa, which is the only one I make because we've just done that, like in our last episode together, uh, is like Nausicaa is so detailed and it's often hard to follow. Whereas like Tezuka's art is the most like it doesn't take long to comprehend, right? There's yeah, it's, so much it's, work it's, the, on the, it's page. the spirit of cartooning, right? You yeah, can fly it, through it. Yeah, it's. It is super cartoonist in a way that, like, you know, I'd use that as a generic term about this kind of art, right? Like, yeah. you read from panel to panel, it's like, so smoothly. You don't have to ever... There's no point where I was confused about what's going on. The blocking is impeccable. Like, it's just, like, the best in terms of... Like, it's also the best in terms of, like, showing off how good it is. But, like, fundamentally, what it's doing, like, with panel work is just incredible. Yeah. So I first read this coming out of like reading a lot of uh, Marvel and DC comics. <laughs> oh yes. And when you when you look for like experimental layouts and stuff in those comics, it's usually like about something really serious is happening or something really like, mm-hmm. like experiment like something big's happening. But and this is just it's every other page. Yeah. It's it it completely destroys like a lot of other work because you're just like reading going how did you do this. It's it's the the needle threading of that is really really impressive because it never feels like showing off like it is the whole thing is showing off but it's never felt like there were there were very few pages in this that were like this is the indulgent artist page that didn't need to be here. Well, there's that page where the wolf turned into like different animation styles for the whole page right. and a half. Yes, or like the bit where he goes like I need to power from my James Bond books. Yeah, on like one one panel, it's like it's all over the place. Uh, yeah, the part where it has like Family Guy pop culture cutaway gags is very strange. Because <laughs> like the book itself is like deathly earnest about the things it's talking about. Uh, well, that that's his whole that was his trick. It was uh, it was basically a Tezuka fourth fourth wall break. Is that if he was doing something serious, he would cut to something that would immediately liven the mood for like a panel or two, and then mm-hmm. cut right back to what he was doing before. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. Uh, uh, I I loved I loved uh, this first volume. It might be my favorite of the four volumes. Yeah, the, the future might be the first two are the the ones for me at least so far. Um, uh, well, let's go into volume two then, which is future. There's one uh, other thing about uh, Dawn actually. Yeah. Uh, the bit with the kid right at the beginning, when everything's like going completely perfectly, is the most JRPG beginning to a story I think I've ever read in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> and this is 1967, so everyone read this. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's great. 
and then everything burns down. Everything burns down. And the the shifting, like, I don't know, and this is, like, true of all of the, the volumes going forward, but the, like, the way it is about, and obviously it gets into more, like, specifics with the Buddhism stuff later, but the way it is about, like, moral relativism without be, that being, like, a coward move is really good. I loved all the stuff with uh, Nuggy, like, the way that they both like Nuggy and um, uh, the uh, the his, not his wife but the wife in the story meet each other again after years, and they've both found their own member of the like culture that destroyed them, who is their own like who they've like grown close to now because like not because that's like a thing to forgive someone for, but because it's life and that's what you do. It was just very the way it balanced that stuff without ever once falling into like um, you know these things happen who knows to say uh was just incredible it was like balanced really well that's also happening while he's like bursting through the pages of that page yes (laughs) which is incredible oh so yeah volume two future yeah, uh, Future came out in 1967 and 1968. Uh, this is the final story in chronological order, uh, which takes place in the year 3404 as mankind lives in underground cities ruled by giant robotic computers uh, as the world is otherwise a radioactive cinder, like nuclear winter space or whatever. Um, and the main character is a young guy named Masato with his girlfriend Tamami, who is a shape-shifting alien that he's not supposed to have. She is very illegal. And uh, he works for the government. Uh, his boss, Rock, is just like this middle manager who sucks the most, who takes orders from the computer. And so, he's like, you need to kill your girlfriend. Uh, the computer, it demands it. <laughs> so the thing about Rock is that he is a very popular Tezuka character. Because mm-hmm. Tezuka's whole thing was he had a star system. Yeah, so his, everyone shows up in other books, right? <laughs> he's basically treated like a, he's, he's the movie director and they're all his cast. So he just plays everyone everywhere. Yeah, there are characters in Volume One that show up everywhere too, but Rock is like the typical like bad guy. Good, because so this I, guy sucks in uh, delightful yeah, yeah. ways. So when you when you when you see him, you're supposed to be like, "Oh, it's that motherfucker." <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't know him. I still was like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, the the first encounter leaves him leaving with him strangling him and his like thought balloon, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's good. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> so they're all living in like a very like silent film modernist hellscape and yes. uh r- because uh, masada does not want to kill his girlfriend he escapes the surface with her and he runs into the mad scientist dr saruta uh who's just living in a dome on the surface trying to restore humanity or the animals of the earth by regrowing animals and people uh but his research is not good enough because whenever he takes something out of the tube he grows it in it turns into like foam and disappears and dies um and the phoenix visits him and visits him and says people are going to show up on your doorstep and they are the ones who are going to save humanity so take care of them uh and so he does and uh he gets a crush on tamami and also realizes that she's the one who could be integrated into his experiments to maybe preserve their forms because her species is a shapeshifter um rock uh is pursuing uh masato because the computer told him if he doesn't chase down tamami it'll be the end of the world as they know it as the computers are going to war over a disagreement of interpretation because uh the geopolitics parody of this is extreme in this in this book in this volume uh as one computer says we must capture the fugitive and the other computer is like well i think that we should harbor the fugitive and they literally go to nuclear war that destroys all people because of it um 
and all that's left is the people in the dome. Uh, and that goes badly. <laughs> is left with Masato immortal, and he's the only one, really. Um, and everyone else is gone as the back half of this book is Masato living through the rest of the universe <laughs> as all life on Earth dies out. And then 5,000 years later, new beings start to form. Like, he basically restarts life. Uh, and it turns into like a slug society, which then dissolves <laughs> and destroys itself. And then new mammalian life takes form on the earth. And by then he's left his physical body and is basically like a confused and forgetful God trying to remember the world that he came from. And it's the one of the most incredible things in the world. <laughs> I've, I've always, I've always forget about the slugs. Always forget about the slugs until I never that forget part. the slugs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and he just like goes through all these cycles, right? Like he finds the slugs and the dinosaurs, and, and then eventually, like men show up again, and they're just as shitty as before. Yeah, yeah. He's like, this didn't fix anything. It just happened again. Uh, yeah, and then he ends up going merging with the phoenix, uh, who's still around, and inside is Tamami, who merged the phoenix, you know, millennia ago, and they are reminded of each other. And then the phoenix goes, "I really hope someday one of these cycles people will figure it out." But you know, and I know that that's not going to happen. No. Instead, we'll just have everything that we watch on this show ending this way for eternity. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yes. The ending of things. <laughs> oh, what if the cycle could be broken one day with love? Uh, this, this isn't that cynical. Uh, this is just incredible. This is, this is, this is every, everything else has been doing this. And this like, puts most of them to shame. Yes. <laughs> it's just it's amazing. Uh, because uh, one of the things I forgot is right at the end when it does like all oh, humanity has been reborn after the slugs is then it does the bit from the opening of the first volume again, which mm -hmm. is like the relaunch of humanity 10,000 years after the future died or whatever. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, it does uh, like yeah, the... four, four or five pages from the first volume again. Yeah. It's it, that's incredible. Yeah. The way it brings this stuff in and like uh, just destroys causation as a concept yes <laughs> uh, it's very good because obviously it's about this repeating cycle and that's a theme of loads of the stuff that we uh, you know they're all pulling from similar ideas um but the the amount that it commits to like making through its storytelling you understand the before and after are the same thing <laughs> is really impressive because it, it just it just goes all in on that yes i also like that it starts as kind of like a a slightly arch like 50 sci-fi thing yes. like i feel like even in 68 or 67 this would have seemed like a little old-fashioned and how it begins with like you know the mad scientist lives in the domes of the blasted earth uh, and the way that that all like just keeps going past where you'd think that sort of story would go into the extremities of time and space is very good yeah because everyone is dead halfway through yes. like <laughs> like just, just like wait what this is gonna this is such a ridiculous thing to be in the second book yes <laughs> even knowing the premise of yeah. phoenix i was not ready for it to like go here already yeah i do love that the, the scene where rock uh talks to the computer after they've declared war and is like so we plant all these nukes everywhere aren't they gonna do the same to us and the computer's like yeah they probably are <laughs> and he's yeah. like oh it's so good <laughs> like, wouldn't we all just die then and then the computer's like yeah obviously and no, at no point thinks we shouldn't go to war. It's just fully trusting the algorithm. <laughs> yeah. And there was that amazing boardroom scene earlier that's all uh, underneath the table. Oh, that shot's incredible. Oh, that panel's yes. incredible. 
Yeah. And they're talking about how everyone's dressing like primitive uh, beings because they can't eat food because they're being fed like gruel from the computer. Yeah, so everyone's just like recapturing the past with old dress and stuff. It's good. Yeah. That stuff's good because it works on a knife edge of like, you know, I've seen Wally. This kind of idea can go real bad real fast. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. In terms of like, oh, we're in the future and the computers rule everything, but humanity's become complacent and bad and, and we just need to be in touch with ourselves. But instead of it doing that, it's like all about like everyone wallowing and shitty nostalgia rather than thinking about how to build a future. Uh, so it's like, the it, it's that, but good. It's good. Also, he's like name dropping the sci-fi too, because that the creature that dies first is named Bradbury. Yes. Yeah. It is not subtle. <laughs> no, there's also like this is where the 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 pan the paneling the pages gets way more experimental in the first volume. Like the first volume is mm-hmm. a really good like straightforward action comic a lot of the time. Yeah, this one goes like uh, there's this there's scene where he becomes immortal and shoots himself in the chest is mm-hmm. incredible. <laughs> it wants the full white page. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's so many good stuff in this book. Uh, yeah, uh, just overwhelming volume two, really. <laughs> uh, so the first half of volume three, uh, if, that's, if everyone's ready to move on. Yeah, yeah. we can move on. Uh, is Yamato, uh, which is from 1986 to 80, or sorry, 68 to 69. This takes place in the year uh, two or 320 to 350. Uh and is about the king of Yamato, uh, and is called Yamato, and he wants uh, his own version of history written, um, and he's going to insist on it no matter what. Uh, meanwhile, he's like trying to build his big tomb um, and uh, going to war with a barbarian tribe uh, who are writing their own history. And he sends his son to go, his youngest son to go murder the chief who are writing the, the proper history. And on his way, he encounters the phoenix and the legend and uh, decides to, you know, maybe take matters in his own hand, maybe forge a new history. Who could say? <laughs> Uh, he doesn't do that. Well, I mean, he, he kind of, you know. he thinks about it for a long time and then goes, no, I actually have to, if I'm going to be honest, I need to do the thing I agreed to do, which is stab this guy and then stabs that guy. And he's like, that's fair enough, dude. Yeah. <laughs> and then this is actually and, based on a really famous myth too. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then him and, uh, the chief's sister, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. go like go back. She chases him. They fall in love while he's there, and she chases him back, trying to kill him, and ends up working in the like slave labor that is building the tomb, uh, for his uh father. As he decides to take that over, and he's like, "What I'm going to do is actually build like a city for the people, and my father won't know until it's too late." And unfortunately, that doesn't work out. Um, and he gets thrown in prison, and then the phoenix comes and saves them, kind of. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So he, while he was uh with the with the the chief and the like other other like the quote unquote barbarians, right? Like yes, the, yeah. Defined barbarians by the state that he works for, Yamato. Well, they are the people um, who crawled out of the cave in the first volume. Yes, yes. So they are the new inhabitants of of the island by the phoenix. Um, and he goes there, and every every night he swims over to where the, the phoenix is resting and like plays a song for it mm-hmm. and eventually the phoenix is like wow you just were just nice to me would you like my blood is that what you're looking for and he's like yeah but i don't need it i want to he's gonna bury two thousand people with his tomb the king the emperor uh, the, the king the king's gonna bury two two yeah. two thousand people with his tomb and i don't want them to all be sacrificed so um can i just like put your blood in like a in a bottle or something and <laughs> save all of them and uh the phoenix puts the blood onto a uh, handkerchief and he takes it back 
Uh, and then while they're before they're all buried, they're like, trying to come up with a plan for whether they can dig out uh, if they survive. And they all like take a lick of the blood. And it's not enough to like make them immortal, but they don't know what it'll do. So they all, everyone who gets buried, takes a lick of the blood, and then they just start singing while they're underground. <laughs> Uh, until they like until they stop existing for like months, uh, and that's how that ends. Just the, then, then no one, everyone's like, right? I guess the dead have spoken, and we're not allowed to sacrifice people by burying them alive anymore. Yeah, which is how they start the tradition of the clay figures that are buried with the leader. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, I like this one because it has some of the most beautiful paneling in the entire world. There's this great mm-hmm. bit of the horse running along the like. Uh, ocean edge like the coast where it's uh-huh. like a top down of just the waves crashing along and the horse riding uh, like bottom to top in the giant like one page panel uh that's all just like black and white pen and ink work and it's just incredible i haven't read all of it but you should probably read buddha yeah i really want all read that buddha. that's all that comic is it's just landscape shots we'll, and like, we'll, get, we'll get to we'll get to volume four where i'm like shit i need to read buddha or i'm going to die <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah that page is incredible yeah and this one ends up just being kind of like a nice little uh like interlude short story you know i don't feel like i have like a ton to say here but i did like this one yeah it's, no, I like this it's good um but yeah it is based on a, a famous myth where the sword uh kusanagi comes from oh mm-hmm. okay yeah all the all the stuff like there's like old woodblock paints of this guy in a dress about to kill that guy. Oh, all right. Yeah, and actually, I, I really like the history stuff too. Like when they do like the there's a page of just like yes. of sculptures to yeah. like reframe it as like these histories are both real. They're just from different sides. Yeah, the thing I like about this comic is so much of it feels like Tezuka just doing what he wants with no regard for like what it, what the conception of a narrative is going to be right like mm-hmm. he will just take an aside like this book opens with once there was a king and he looked like this and the next page is just like the king being portrayed by artists all in different historical art styles like there's a cubist one and there's one where he's like a cartoon of hitler and there's one where he's like upside down and uh, like got a weird checkerboard texture and it's just all these different versions before you even see the king uh you get this like very indulgent like let's riff on this idea of like the perception of things uh and then like the asides for the historical stuff where the, he just does really nice pen and ink sketches of like actual statuary um it's really good as that entire page uh where uh, it becomes like a custer's last stand bit yes oh, yeah, right <laughs> and then the uh, last panel is what the fuck does this page have to do with anything <laughs> yes because like, like someone bonks him on the head with like a mallet yeah because yeah, like they were escaping through the valley and, and like they're running away from the barbarians so there's like a little bit of a thematic connection i guess but then you're like wait why is this here and then by the time you start thinking what the hell's going on the, the comic goes what the hell are you doing get back to the story yeah <laughs> there's the one that's like uh there's one there's one page that's like he like puts out a personal ad to like a self-help guy about what to do with his life it's in the little yeah. corner of the bottom of a page it's just like what do i do doctor and he's like uh maybe you're depressed and should become a comic artist <laughs> <laughs> that was very funny. <laughs> uh, uh, anything else for Yamato, or should we move on? No. Uh, I screen I screenshotted the like entire page splash that's just him going, what do I want with my life? <laughs> <laughs> Big mood. Uh, the, the 
fourth story and the second part of volume three is universe also known as space this is from 1969 this takes place the year 2577 as uh five astronauts on a generational colony ship in deep space uh have their like ship ruined uh, so they wake up in stasis and like what something's gone wrong we have to get the escape pods and one of their members has died he is strapped to a chair and looks like a desiccated corpse and they're like how is this even possible did he get space madness and then they all get in their uh, escape pods and launch out in formation and have to try to talk through the mystery of what happened and their memories of this guy and one of them must have killed him because someone found that while he was tied up he wrote i am being murdered on his leg uh and they're like well that one of us is the killer and they talk about their motivations and a love triangle and a whole bunch of things as they float through the blackness of space and if you want to talk about catnip for me personally in terms of what i want out of a narrative this one is it <laughs> this one's incredible a, a, a locked room space mystery uh everyone talking out the problem is everything i've ever wanted <laughs> that's true so, it ended up being my least favorite volume thing but like yes i agree with I, you. I agree with you i agree with you but that only <laughs> speaks to how good everything else is <laughs> because this is like this is like the star trek episode i wouldn't dare dream of they're not good enough to pull it off that's so true, the funny part not. about this is when we were originally deciding how many volumes to do i forgot these were combined so this was the four i thought was going to be four <laughs> Which is why oh, I didn't wow. want to stop at three. Okay, <laughs> but that then it was like, sense. oh yeah, yeah, because <laughs> this is like, this is the most abnormal mapping comic I think I've almost ever read. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, because it's. I mean, I, well, I was about to say what the ending is. We'll summarize the the journey there first. Yes. Um. So yeah, they they while they talk through this, the, there's oh. like a. Oh, were you gonna say we something? should probably point out how it's like framed because it's framed in a way that no other comic is framed. Like every everyone has their own portion of the page. Yeah. Vertical yeah, and yeah. horizontally at all times. And the four of them, it just basically bisects the page into four at all times. When the, And then they combine into panels as they meet up. And then it cuts into, like, dreams and flashbacks that all go through, like, huge spreads while yeah. this is happening. Yeah. It's incredible. And so, yeah, everyone is communicating with each other. And we get these flashbacks of... The, the man who was murdered, everyone has a different perception of what was wrong with him. Someone thinks he's a robot. Someone was told he was a mortal. Someone was said he was like, <laughs> he aged backwards or whatever, uh, or aged weird. Um, and they're trying to piece together what happened. And they, then they notice that, uh, as they start, start to drift apart and lose members, that there is a one uh, escape pod that, a fifth escape pod that's been following them from behind for this whole time. And what could that possibly be? And what comes from inside seems like animal noises over there, increasingly scattered communication. Um, and so uh, two of the members and that other escape pod all land on a planet um, after, you know, a very harrowing journey and a bunch of space mystery. And on this planet, it seems like the plants are living beings and the animals are plants and everything's backward and crazy and storms ravage the planet every night. And then in the morning, everything's put back where it was, like all the landslides have reversed and everyone's very confused about it. Um and here they run into the phoenix and the answer to their problems or their mystery uh because it turns out that that uh, fifth guy once landed on this pla on the planet with some aliens um 
and the aliens were going to love him. And he got a, like an alien girlfriend who was living with him and trying to do everything to make him happy. And he just couldn't let go of this one girl who burned him when he was young and listened to her to where he did get space madness and killed them all. And, uh, the only one that was left turned out to actually be the Phoenix who was trying to like do something nice for him. And he has been cursed now forever. Uh, and he was aging backwards as punishment. And was a robot because he was a, a, a child driving a robot that looked like him. Yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> I absolutely have the panel where it's a baby inside like a hollowed out robot brain with some joysticks controlling him. Like, yes. <laughs> fucking reveal. incredible reveal. <laughs> Um, this is uh, the weakest one. Yes. <laughs> um, and so uh, it's and so he wrote he was being murdered because he realized that the phoenix was murdering him by reverting him back to a baby, uh, and then you know he his robot dried up or whatever. And then in this this the fifth escape pod that lands in the planet, it is the baby, and uh, the one girl on the mission picks him up and is like, "I'm going to take care of this baby." Um, as the one guy is like, "I'm in love with you," because all the guys are in love with the one lady. That's what happens when you're in space. Don't have gender disparity in your <laughs> your demographics in space. This always happens. Yep. No. It, it, this uh, recurring theme in this book is if there was more than one girl, a lot of the problems in the world wouldn't exist. <laughs> um, anyway, it turns out that the Phoenix, this is like a, the, the Phoenix's karmic prison planet where everyone who's done something horrible is allowed to turn into a plant and live forever in recompense for whatever harm they've done. And everyone agrees to be a plant, and that's the story. It's very like Twilight Zony of itself. It's very Twilight Zony, and yeah, like Crypt Keeper kind of almost. Yes. Uh, Sarita is like sent back, but is like cursed with being ugly forever. Yes, and no one knows. No one. He tells people about it, but no one believes him. He gets his because because it's wild. Yes. Yeah, who's wild. gonna believe you? <laughs> The the thing that's that's great about the flashback too the, the last flashback with the guy uh, killing everyone is that it's all based on what his thoughts and in- insecurities are because that machine that they talked about it afterwards that the machine's just going to project what he wants onto the into the yes. screen yeah so her telling him to murder everyone is him telling himself to murder everyone yeah it's really good yeah. <laughs> Um, anything else before we move on? Just that, yeah, I can't, you can't really get over just how this, this, this comic, uh, is paneled and like looks every page. Yeah. This one is like experimental in the extreme and just like, like you said, formally, it is very strict panels of everyone isolated in space that turn into dreamscapes that have like very nonlinear paneling that's like snakes across double page spreads. And, uh, it's wild. There's the bit where the captain, uh, his, his his thing gets hit and he gets like knocked off course. Yeah. And the, it just goes black for like four pages after that, I think, or something. Yeah. In his panels. And uh, yeah, it just, it hits so well for being like, just like nothing. Yeah. It's really good. Um, yeah. I, I definitely think this is the one that is the most um, pulled down by the fact that Tezuka is like not great about women. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, that much. is just a, a truth throughout these books. It's a um, truth throughout his work. Yes. And, like, I, I've seen some of other... Uh, I know enough about his other works, and, you know, know that, that is just his deal. Um, and it definitely drags some of it down, but it also makes it interesting on another level, right? Of, like, uh, this entire work is about people 
not being able to be better and being trapped in the world they're in, striving to like find some kind of like eternity of peace, uh, never finding it, but like keeping going regardless. In his and like you can see his own like flaws through this like work, right? Like if he wasn't so fucking sexist about things, maybe like this stuff would be better, right? Like it just it like not in a way that is excusing it, but it definitely by being a work so about existentialism and so driven by one person brings that stuff to the forefront in ways that can like lend to interesting reads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other thing about this volume is it it's one of the ones that has an OVA about it from the eighties. Oh, I'll have to watch that then. It's just an anime. They don't just do anything. Just normal with... anime. It's just it's um the guy who did Ninja Scroll in uh, the world record short in Animatrix. Oh hey. Yeah, it's almost like first works for Madhouse. It's just like a normal thing. Like there's no like it doesn't try to do the paneling stuff. It's just like oh, it's an anime. Huh. I'll have to check that out. I bet it is uh, disappointing after reading it, but it might be fun. Yeah, I, I think that's probably wise. I don't know what you could do to like translate the things that make this like the 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 formal stuff to screen i literally don't know how you could do that the original movie is like an 83 anime movie that's just like a hodgepodge of ideas from all of it mashed into one movie for two hours well i'll watch that when i'm with i'm done with phoenix i guess very strange and then the 2004 series is done by the vodoms guy yeah takahashi did a 13 episode thing right before flag well we're watching that yeah. <laughs> i think i think it covers everything though doesn't it yeah yeah no no no, no. we have to we yeah. have to finish reading it first but yeah. then we're watching that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um okay is everyone ready to move on to the fourth of yes. the volume okay yes. so yes. fourth volume is uh ho or karma and this uh came out in 1969 1970 these are coming out every year by the way i want to point <laughs> out these massive tomes of some of the best comics i've ever read just churning them out so um, i've watched a documentary because i have an art book by tezuka uh-huh. Or like a history of his art book, and it's got a, it came with a CD with a documentary on it, and he's like drawing panels on like the page to go deliver them. God, <laughs> um, he's just never not drawing. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read the entire Wikipedia summary here because I think it covers a good chunk of stuff, and I'll add a couple things. So this story takes place in 19 or 720 to 752 AD uh, during the Nara period. A one-armed, uh, one-eyed young man named Gao, who's an ancestor of Sarata, turns into a murderous bandit because uh, his parent died when he was a child, and he was abandoned by his village, and basically left as like a disfigured monster. And in his murderous ire, he attacks a sculptor named Akanemaru, uh, and Akanemaru loses the use of one of his hands and goes into a monastery and there uh, a monk like rehabs him and convinces him to pursue his art and figure it out um, and Akanemaru becomes obsessed with the idea of the phoenix uh, when he's tasked with building a, a phoenix statue for the emperor uh, who's like build it in three years or die uh, and he doesn't actually succeed in doing that but in pursuing the idea has a vision of the phoenix that draws him through his future reincarnations like when he dies where in like three lifetimes he will be a bird that nests near the phoenix and he will be able to see it and he wakes up remembering that dream and is remotivated uh meanwhile uh gao doing his murders and stuff has bad things happen to him to where he almost dies poisoned by a woman that he has kidnapped and in his lowest point is picked up by a monk who uh teaches him how to create art out of his anger and passion and him and the monk wander around the countryside as he builds buddha statues um and then the two men end up in competition to finish the giant pavilion in which the uh huge uh daibutsu buddha statue is built 
um, and Tojai, the like real one in real life uh, that happened at this era. And yes. uh, the two men are brought into uh, this moment where Akane Maru is driven by ambition and hatred for Gao, and Gao is driven by his desire to achieve true art that is not bound by the commands of petty emperors and uh the two men have this competition and it goes badly for both of them kind of but uh gao does end up living in peace without use of both of his hands a mad hermit building buddha statues until he dies um yeah this is maybe one of the best pieces of fiction i have ever read uh i think it's transcendent (laughs) it's very good i like it a lot it's uh it is hard for me to speak of because, uh, you know, I am a practicing Buddhist. This is a very Buddhist story. Um, it, it digs into tenets of belief and also the ways in which that belief can be corrupted historically through systems that will use, like, the book is very clear multiple times about how the big Buddha statue is not religious at all. It is a big show of power by a nation state, right? Yes. And Akani Maro just gets wrapped up in the idea that he's doing a great work, but what he's doing is a great work for, like, a, a man who's in charge of an army who commands people um and loses sight of the reality of his situation because of it um and i think all of that stuff and the stuff about the reincarnation where kanemaru learns his future and then desperately wants to become a human again so he can do better next time and the phoenix is like no it's not going to work out for you that way you're just going to be an animal and never turn back into a human again uh meanwhile gao just lives his best life until he fades away into history um i love it i think this is great um, uh, I can't, I can't imagine what you would make of it as like just a piece of fiction and not like it's, I, as someone who, despite watching like a lot of like Japanese media, I don't feel like there's a lot of works that are like actually Buddhist inspired, like mm-hmm. philosophically. This is one of them. I'm like, shit, I need to go read Buddha. I don't know why I haven't done that yet. Fucked up. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I love this one, but I'll let Jackson say their piece. Oh, I also thought it was great. I originally was, I was worried at the start that it was going to be bad um because it um the way it starts is very like especially after the ending of um space and then like uh gao as the like saruda character uh is here but now he's like even more fucked up he's, he's got one eye and one arm and everyone hates him because he's like so disfigured but then he's hating everyone else in the world and that's bad and i was like oh god uh and then the nice guy comes along and he gets arm cut off but because he's cool and nice he is just nice for everything i was like oh is this what this is this what this is saying and absolutely not yes. it's not saying that at all like not even close that's like the first 30 pages of a <laughs> 350 and then like so because i was like so I wouldn't say I was like uh, disarmed because I was like on edge. It's the exact opposite, right? Because yes, I was primed. also worried starting this out. I'm like, wow, did this one just become like really shitty about like all yes. oh, the ugly characters are evil and the the beautiful characters have tragic things happen to them. And that's just like the cycle of life and reincarnation. I was like, like, oh no, is this where this is going? And because I was primed for that so instantly early on, like the way it transcended through this story and the like journeys that both of these characters went on, which are like bigger than most characters, like, the amount these characters change without it feeling like, and now they're a different person, this panel, is unreal. Like, it is a massive story for the being one 300-and-something page volume. Yes. Uh, and I, yeah, I was very impressed. I don't have the, like, specificity of my own, like, relation to Buddhism, wherever I haven't, like... Uh, even looked up anything about that or had like yeah. any kind of interest um but i think the like themes of the st- story still play really well because i still like throughout these books the ideas of um uh, like you know coming to peace with 
a finite existence that is also uh, an infinite existence, just not in a way that your consciousness gets to understand. Which yes. I, is a thing I believe is true, but in a much more material way, just about how the life works. Right? I don't yeah. have. I wouldn't say I'm an especially spiritual person, but I do relate to that as like a way to view the world. That's just that's the fact the, the the thing the thing when it says about the like infinite of the cosmos and the like the time the macro the macro and micro of the like whole galaxy and every cell being like all systems of, of life is that's a true thing that I, I just believe is a fact uh and the way that expresses itself through these uh through all of these things and especially volume four is like really good because once it gets into like religion as a construct in uh society is like a political one yeah. It is not religion that gives life meaning. It is the you know life itself. Like, uh, and it went it went hard on that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Something I just realized this time reading it. I don't know if the two uh, they both they both went into uh, girls in this comic. One of them is kidnapped, and one of them just kind of follows the other guy around. I don't know if they're real. Yeah. I mean, I assumed at least the one that uh, follows Gao around is meant to be the Phoenix itself. Well, because, yeah, she's drawn, like, like a ghost, almost. Yeah. At all times, like, she's drawn, like, without, like, definition, like, most other characters have. Mm-hmm. And then the other, la- the other the other one gets um speared on the way out of one of the scenes. Yeah. And then she comes back with, like, with no problem. Yeah. She, like, she, like very comes into the, and out of the story as it goes. Yeah. They're very much, like, the tormentors of these men is, like, an idea more than a person. Yeah, it seems yes. like it. And also, like, 30 years pass, and by the end, the, like, the the girl shows up, and she's just the girl still, and picks up the skull and walks away with it, right? Uh-huh. Like, to, yeah, to me, those were meant to be representations of the phoenix. Because yeah. they're also drawn, like, the phoenix alien in the last story. In that a makes large sense. Part yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. Especially because, like, the one with, uh, what's his name? Aki, Aki, Akimaru? Yeah, Akane Akane Mari. Bushi, right? Yeah, yeah. Bushi is like introduced, and she's like naked and jumping around, and then she's like, "Oh, I'm 12." But in a way, it doesn't feel like the way that feels in like modern manga. It's like she's just fucking. She's just not a human. She just like feels like an unreal person. Yes. Um, and uh, him being so like kind of like very proper and stuck up to cannot deal with this. Yeah. And at the same time, like uh. Uh, like when when with Gal, like the woman with him is like a very different character, but is like a very pointed foil in the same ways that points at all his very different weak spots. Yeah, the thing I love also is that as the series goes on and you learn more about it, uh, the stat the statue itself becomes way more sinister looking. Yes, and I, I don't know if- it like it is like the it looms over like an adoring people filling the temple like like a vengeful like god it's just like way too much it is so oppressive and then it contrasts that directly with Gao like standing in the wilderness in the purity of just like being a person alive and enjoying it and it's great yeah no very emotional yeah um, because that's like yeah one of the central themes for me of all these is like the the way in which um being a better person is like possible right uh but it doesn't erase like you know you could get murdered a bunch of people and it doesn't like change that or forgive it anyway it's never about redemption as an idea like it doesn't look at that as a way to view what being a person is um 
and instead just being about like accepting your own life and living the best you can in the moment it's like good it's very moving it like you know i understand why this is such a like spiritual story for people who are like view you know who people who are buddhist and like have more knowledge of that i just found it more resonant in terms of someone who spends a bunch of time where you know i i worry about every fucking thing i've done in my life <laughs> all yeah. the time always I, I have i've like nothing but regrets in my brain and that's like most not most people but that's a lot of people i know yeah you know? That, that is a way to be and seeing uh gal like achieve just that kind of like peace but not in a way that's you know he doesn't fight back when he is his arms are wrongly cut off uh that, that bit at the end is heartbreaking it's heartbreaking <laughs> especially because um, like those po- those two politicians are the most like contemptible corrupt people in this whole book maybe yes oh it is one of the few pieces of like fiction, and we, there are a lot of these because of the genres that we're you know operating in. Uh, that I've read where it is like legitimately emotional and good when the person just like is stoic and accepting in the face of a corrupt state. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. usually that just comes off of cowardice. <laughs> in a lot of the other stories you've read, there's also the one that uh, most like so far most concretely connects the volumes because there's that bit where. Uh, Gao learns the secrets of the universe, as it were. Yes. And he sees himself throughout time. Yeah, he learns about the Sarutas of the history. <laughs> yeah. And his reaction is, alright. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't change that right now I'm just gonna carve some statues with the best I can. Those statues also look terrifying. <laughs> yes. Yeah, now the difference in like how, like, it doesn't change Gao's life at all. Like, even a little bit. He is him. He will continue to be him in the moment as best he can. Whereas uh, Kanamara's vision like just destroys him. He is a different yes. person after he wakes up. Yes. Um, yeah. Also, that that page is just like how to repair a turtle is like kind of it's incredibly like fast and graphic and like where they, where he like re- he reincarnates yeah. re- a turtle and then they like they cut it up for you to show how it's done and then he reincarnates as a bird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's very good, but yeah, that's that's all I have for those for those volumes. Did you you guys have like a standout sequence of pages? Like, if you had to pick one, oh god, <laughs> I, I read it too far. Like, I read most of the, the three of these last night. I just like the whole thing was too. Oh jeez, <laughs> yeah, that um, that do a number. Um, I think the the one that I remember the most, the one that was most like, oh, I'm reading like some some really special comics is actually really early when uh dm signals his country to attack the village and you get three pages of the boat slowly approaching in the night as the ships enlarge as they like close in just like three giant panels of these this fleet coming closer uh it's just like such an expression of care that i wasn't expecting uh because i'd seen like tezuka character designs and i knew that he wrote you know in the era he wrote in i assumed they would be more like like almost like newspaper comic style where it's just like a bunch of plot thrown at you and not a lot of art um but no it is it will take the time to just have all the art possible also they foreshadow those boats really early in the comic too yeah um and it just really just knocked me on my ass i was not i was not expecting it there's one i think it's in i think it's in volume three uh where there's like a double page spread of like a bunch of dancers before the emperor yep and oh, they're yes and they're just like they're just like the like optical illusion of the birds pattern the dancers all in rows just like entirely uniform that also just like really knocked me out it was so good 
One of mine is actually it's in volume one, and it's when they first meet the horses, mm-hmm. and it goes to like it goes to this like weird like pencil style almost that the, the ink goes away, and it just like turns into this like all shadow based fight for like three pages. Yes, it's so striking every yeah. time. It's just, and there's also the one in um four that's um it's the sequence of like I think it's Gao fighting a bunch of bandits, but it's just showing the river. Mm-hmm. Just a bunch of vertical panels, and then it oh shows, yeah, where it just shows the body like drifting, like through the, it's like a river just flowing, and then the body hits it and drifts away, and then it goes back to just being. And they're all river. talking over over what's happening, yeah. Yes. And then there's the, the the pig at the end, which is his uh, signature thing, which you might have noticed throughout the comic. Yeah, <laughs> it's good. It's, yeah. yeah, it's fucking good. <laughs> and now we gotta wait uh, six months to read any more of it. Yeah. In the meantime, maybe I'll go read some other Tezuka. It's not like there isn't eight hundred other things to read. <laughs> It, except for like depending on like the, the the translation and print status of this stuff is all so weird yes it seems like it, it is wild to me the the Tezuka stuff is not just all translated properly like <laughs> he's this like was... the most fucking famous magica ever so if jack do you know what year this was produced jackson um could you guess our, our versions yeah guess 2008 it's 2003 when they first came out in english that was it yeah it says on the it said on the thing, <laughs> but like yeah, it's like thirty forty. It's like thirty years later. It's like what are you guys doing? <laughs> I mean, the viability of manga has always been like a big question, and like these are these are like some big releases of the last manga boom, right? Like before everything went away again briefly. Yeah. Well, there's there's interviews in the back of this when they were translating in the seventies, mm-hmm. and they're like, we tried to sell this to American comic publishers, and they would not bite on Japanese comics at all. Yeah. It was translated for years, but they didn't, no one would just no one would publish it. And so Viz went to, trans, to publish it, and they're like, oh yeah, we had these translations from like the 70s, do you want them? And they're like, yes. They, I assume they updated them. <laughs> yeah, a bit, yeah, yeah. But it's but the same know. guy who did like who does like Tezuka biographies. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what is the history of this? Why is this left to right? That's my question. Left to uh, mm? uh, Why it's flipped. It's just the, yeah, it's just it the style of the oh, time. Uh, they okay. think that's the way you would do translation. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't disagree. I think it like reads really well. I'm just like curious as to because everything it, else is so purist about what they do. There's like a lot of like like they say at the start, this will be using. We're not gonna like localize a bunch of terms because like of the like cultural context of the thing. We'll have some notes for you to like fill you in, but uh-huh. it'll be a very faithful translation. So I was very curious if there was any reasoning for it being oh, flipped. This, I mean, this just used to be what you did with manga. The assumption was that American audiences needed it to be the right way, or they wouldn't be able to like parse it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it, printing like, manga. Printing manga the correct way is like a relatively modern thing to do. Like the people did it Tezuka the himself saying that people wouldn't be able to get into it because it was right to left and not left to right. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dumbass imported these manga style and couldn't flip them, so I read them in the most broken ass way possible. <laughs> That'd be hard with what? three, especially because it's all double pages. Yep. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Wait, what? You what? What did you do? My manga, my my comics app, my comics reading app can allow you to import things manga style where they're flipped. Yeah, so and I just imported them flipped, and you have to re-upload them if you want them the other way. So I, I read them use... like manga. Uh, I use uh, I use what's this called? Comic Zeal. You can what? just change them at any time. Yeah, just, when I, I did that, it didn't play. flip it. Oh really? Oh yeah. What for real? Yeah. yeah. It works for me. I don't know. I was like, you, okay. you put them in the thing and go change contents to manga or change contents to I did that and didn't do that. Just didn't do shit? Just fucking yeah, just broke didn't do it. Shit. Okay. Yeah. 
So yeah, these are currently not available. Well, they were in print. I have them in print because I got a lot of them when they were first coming out. And then they're in digital now for like, I think, $10 a volume. Mm-hmm. That's a weird trend. I really like a new printing of these. I would happily buy all of these and put them on my shelf. Yeah, that's a weird trend Viz has now, which they're just putting out the old stuff. It's just um, digital comics. I mean, the thing is, the risk is so much lower, right? Yeah. It's very expensive to put out big manga oh, volumes yeah, yeah. like this. Especially for something like this, because this is like, clearly, you would want like a huge hardback copy, right? Like, Well, that's you, what they would do to help treat. undercut the cost. Like, a lot of old manga, when it does get released, gets hardbacks. And I appreciate it on some level, but also, they're all $30, and yeah. <laughs> I, I'm broke. I want like a $12 omnibus. <laughs> that's the, like, the one I did with Devilman and stuff, right? I, yeah. I spent more than 30 to finish my collection of these 12. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> I bet you did. God damn. <laughs> uh, I'm really excited about the future ones also. Yeah. If, if they're as good as this, then I will be flabbergasted. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Th- there's, they get strange. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's exciting then. But uh, yeah, I, I love this so much. I was so surprised by it. Um, I want to go read more Tezuka. Maybe I'll read some Astro Boy, try to get a hold of Buddha. Buddha's just in print, I think, so that's easier to get a hold of. I would recommend not reading MW. Okay. Astro Boy's the one I really need to read, just because of historical relevance. I do too, actually. I've never read all of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know if I'll read all of it, but I'd like to read some of it, at least. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, this is great. Yeah, do we have any more final comments or is that we is that the podcast? I think baby riding a mecca. <laughs> ba- baby is in the most normal suit of a man. God, that reveal is so good. It is really good. It's an incredible panel. Uh Rick, would you like to plug anything for people? Not really. I don't have anything to plug right now. Okay. You know fair enough. Living you a good can life. Find, you can find a Rick posting a bunch of great stuff on our Discord. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Um, uh, Jackson, yeah, you can, you can, I was about to not plug, but now this is this is this is a free podcast. Yeah. Uh, if this is just a free podcast you happen to listen to, uh, I am at Headfuls Off on Twitter. Uh, you can find the podcasts that we do at abnormalmapping.com. There's a whole bunch there. Uh, they're mostly very good. We do um, uh, Screens, the movie podcast that I like a whole lot. M does, um, and then an airplane watching Ghibli movies, which I assume will be a thing you'll be interested in if you're listening to this one. Yeah, um, uh, we're about to do uh, Whisper of the Heart, which I'm excited to watch. I am behind on those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Shifting, looking at my feet. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you can find me on Twitter at em underscore being. If you'd like to support this podcast and all the rest of our podcasts, you can do that at patreon.com slash abnormal mapping. For $1, you get the Great Gundam Project, which is me and Jackson every week talking about Gundam. We're currently watching G Gundam and the Ghost and Shell Standalone Complex. Um, there are other things at higher tiers, um, but that's the one everyone seems to love the most. Uh, again, we'll be back in just a couple weeks to talk about uh, Log Horizon 2, the second season. And... Um, after that, we'll be Dirty Pair, and then who knows where the future will take us. Um, but I'm sure we'll be revisiting Phoenix in the future, because uh, one way or another, I have to know what happens now. <laughs> for sure. For sure. So, uh, well, yeah. Uh, thanks very much for listening, everyone. I guess we'll see you next time. Thank you very much to Rick for uh, the request. Yeah. And for being on the episode. Um, goodbye. Goodbye.